Hey, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 135. As always, I am your host, Armand Lee, thanking each and every one of you for rocking with me for another episode. And y'all already know, I don't even have to say anything. I'm geeked up because it was a hell of a weekend. I'm extremely happy to have on Erica Fernandez from Black Sports Online. She's going to join me this week. We're going to break down the big fight this past weekend between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. But also, you know, I have to meet my happiness I have to humble myself a bit, right? Because not only will we be talking about things that make me happy, particularly this fight, we're also going to talk about something that makes me very, very depressed. Of course, the New York Knicks. All of that, plus the NFL continues to just feed us BS and we just run up to it and accept it. You know what I'm saying? Like junkies on the corner of Baltimore. And now they have their minions doing their bidding as well. Last week, we talked about how things are so fake, and we have another example of that right now. All of that and so much more, but y'all know exactly where we're starting for our first topic this week. First quarter. You got knocked the fuck out, man. Give me my goddamn money. Nah, it wasn't a knockout, but he got his ass whooped. And of course, I'm talking about Deontay Wilder, who this past Saturday night, (laughs) I, I don't even really know... Let me start this way. Saturday night was so much fun. And I know, you know, a lot of people, you know, boxing is a niche sport. Very, very, and especially in America. Um, but there's a rabid fan base. And I know I've heard from you all, specifically a lot of emails, tweets, who, you know, you guys appreciate, you know, kind of the attention that I focus on on boxing. And this isn't me trying to be magnanimous. Like, I focus on boxing because I love boxing. Boxing is my second favorite sport. And when boxing is done right, I don't think any sport is better than it. It's just that there's so many times when boxing gets in its, its own way. Saturday night is a prime example of boxing doing what boxing does best. And for seven rounds or six and a half rounds, Saturday night started really Sunday morning starting at midnight. It was so much fun. It was phenomenal. And bruh, I I can't even really let me see how I want to start this, man. Because it's just so much, right? It was so exciting to see Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury run it back the second time. You know, two basically two years ago. I told everybody, you know what? I, I was surprised that it was a pay-per-view fight because I didn't think I think that they messed up rushing that as a pay-per-view fight because the American fan had no idea who Tyson Fury was. And you're seeing some of that now because so many people are now kind of grasping at his story. And his story is phenomenal. His story is remarkable. You can feel about Tyson Fury however you want to. And we can we'll touch on that a little bit later. But his kind of redemption arc his story his comeback story is something that we all can appreciate and not just appreciate we all can can rally around who hasn't dealt with moments of depression not maybe to that degree but we just in a rut how many of us has felt feel like man you know what this is rough right now but if i could just reach the pinnacle maybe of my professional goals 
or maybe my relationship goals or financial goals, whatever the case may be. The, the brass ring exists. Like, so if you are feeling down, like, oh man, if I, if I can attain this, right, everything will be better. And what Tyson Fury, the, the example of masculinity, right, both positive and negative, the man beats people up for a living. The undefeated, the undefeated, undefeated, lineal, undefeated champion of the world, heavyweight champion of the world. It's like, bro, I not only was I losing my battle to depression, it's a battle that I still have to fight to this day. I had everything. I had everything. But I felt like I had nothing at all so much so that I wanted to end it all. Who can't get behind that? And yes, it's a remarkable story. But we've talked in the past recently about whitewashing. This dude is homophobic. Like a raging homophobe. But this is not the time where, again, I'm not talking. This is not about Tyson Fury's past. This is about what he has just accomplished. And my point being, they rushed the first fight to pay-per-view in my estimation. Now, the first fight did phenomenally well. Pay-per-view buys were over 300,000. And the way it ended, that this was just the slam dunk. This is an opportunity. This was the time where boxing was like, you know what? Forget all that. We're going to do the smart thing. We're going to put business and politics aside. And we are going to strike when the iron is hot. And that's what Wilder Fury 2 was, man. They didn't play any games. Wilder took two fights. Fury got himself back under, you know, got himself back together. Needed to get the rust off. And without a real weight, they ran it back. There was a demand for them to run it back. They did it. And I can't wait. It's going to be about a week and a half to two weeks before we know what the pay-per-view buys are. Initially, I was like, you know what? I, I assumed they would do 500000 500 to maybe 600000 and those will be great numbers, no matter the point. That's, you know, no matter. If they do more and there are some kind of rumblings that they, it could have done more, this is this is a jackpot. And if you're Tyson Fury, you have positioned yourself so well. Because I remember when I watched AJ Klitschko in Wembley Stadium. I remember it. I, I vividly remember that day, Saturday afternoon. And I'm watching it and it was... It was spectacular. You know, it truly was a marvel. And when AJ won, how he won, where he won, the way he won, you watched it and you're like, yo, he's a superstar. That's a superstar moment right there. And the same thing, I said the exact same thing Saturday night, Sunday morning after Tyson Fury. Again, it wasn't just that he caught Deontay Wilder. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on now saying that, you know, his eardrum was bro broken. It wasn't. He had six stitches in the side of inside of his ear, like literally right inside, like right by the lobe. It wasn't that his eardrum was broken. It got, he had a cut, a six inch or six stitches is all it took. That wasn't an eardrum. He just got beat up. You know what I'm saying? It looked like his equilibrium was thrown off. And if it was, it wasn't because anything was busted in his ear. It was because he was getting his ass kicked. Deontay Wilder got his ass whooped. He didn't get caught with a punch. He got beat up for an entire seven rounds. And then the and then Tyson Fury, after being introduced on the throne, having women carry him out to the ring, after licking his blood, 
after beating up the guy who everyone and we'll talk about that later but how the the, the media had all of a sudden uh christian him and crowned him as the the baddest man in the planet and i mean some of the stuff that Batman was talking about when it came to deontay Wilder, like oh He's he would beat Tyson. He would beat out like, all this crazy stuff. Then we're going to get to the wilder part of this conversation in a moment. But all of the hype. Fury made him look weak, made him look like he had no idea what he was doing. And then after beating him, had this dude leaking from the side of his face, from the nose and the lip, grabbed the microphone and sang American Pie. That you look at all of that in its totality, in probably one of the biggest non Mayweather, De La Hoya, or Canelo pay per view buys that this country has seen. And again, I don't know that yet. We have to wait for the official numbers to come out. But in that moment, I'm looking at the screen and I'm like, yo, Tyson Fury is a superstar. Like those moments just don't happen in sports, particularly in niche sports. And. There's nothing else to say. I'm watching the fight. There are a bunch of Wilder fans around me, and, and they were hurt, Slim. They were hurt, devastated. And look, I came on this podcast a week ago, and I was like, I think Tyson Fury is going to win the fight. But the only way he would win is if he boxed him, if he didn't exchange. I was wrong, despite the fact that I told you guys who I thought was going to win. My math was wrong, right? Because Fury came up and, and told everybody, I'm coming at him. I'm going to take it to him. I'm looking for the knockout. He said he wanted the knockout in two rounds. He probably could have gotten in three, but the ref was just all over the place. And he hurt he hurt Wilder in three that he never recovered from. And I just hadn't, there was no way in my mind that I thought Fury was going to do that. I just never pictured it. I knew Fury was an amazing boxer. He showed us he showed us that much in the first time. I never knew that Fury was going to be able to do that. And shout out to Sugar Hill Stewart and the entire Crunk family. God bless the dead to Manny. I mean, the Crunk family, they know what they're doing, bro. <laughs> like they know what they're doing. Lennox, Adonis, like they got something. And the fact that Deontay Wilder was made to look so weak so confused this is kind of the, my whole point when it came to wilder all of these years and i've been saying it since we started this podcast i was a fan of wilder when he first jumped on the scene way back when and obviously he was blessed with the ability of an amazing he has lightning bolts in his gloves particularly in that right hand but both hands he's an amazing puncher you can't create that. You can't replicate that. That's a blessing. But with that blessing, he hasn't done the the work in his craft to set it up. Once he got hurt in that fight, you could tell all he had was the right. And Fury, correctly so, just put the pressure on him, cut the ring off, position like the footwork is was amazing. Wilder could not load up to throw the right because he always kept coming at him. And Wilder does not know how to fight moving back and forth, backing up, excuse me. He doesn't know how to cut the ring off. He doesn't know how to work angles. There's so much about the sport of boxing that Deontay Wilder just does not know how to do. And so many people are like confused, like, wow, he, he can't box. 
Dog, I've been saying he can't box for years. Anybody who knows the sport knows that Deontay Wilder can't box. He been couldn't box. And that's one of the things, man, again, to go back to how we started this conversation in the first quarter. I appreciate those of you who are like, yo, my man, I really appreciate you talking about boxing. Like, man, I really can get boxing conversation that I really like. I appreciate it. You know what you're talking about. And it's just, it's just annoying for people like us who love the sport. You turn the channel and, man, there's not that many of them who do it. Everybody, like, kind of landed on Vegas because this was just a huge moment for the sport. And now everybody wants to talk. And it's like, man, you know, Tyson Fury didn't really box him on Saturday night. You fucking crazy? He didn't box him the way he did on the first fight. But look at the feigning. Look at how he rushed the feet. Like, Wilder couldn't get himself set. He had no idea what to do. He had no idea how to combat Fury's kind of offense. His feet is all jacked up. He's stumbling all over the round. He's holding on to the ropes. He just, and again, he was hurt, but it wasn't his equilibrium. But he was hurt. But he had no idea how to even return. Couldn't jab. Didn't work the body. How do you look at Tyson Fury's physique and not work his body? It's beyond me. I have no idea. No idea. And this is kind of the issue when it came to Deontay Wilder. He got all of the hype. All of the hype. And he has an amazing story as well. Hell, you got... I think Deontay's Wilder story is better than Tyson Fury's, to be honest with you. That's the American dream, what Deontay Wilder has done. Brother from Alabama, has nothing, has a daughter who's ill, trying to find a way to just get her help. I mean, we, we could have a larger, broader conversation about the American healthcare system, if you want to, when it comes to Deontay Wilder. And the fact is, he had to go to just primitive, primal fighting to make him make his way to give and provide to his family that's dope who doesn't get behind that but instead of just marveling at the story right and appreciating that we gotta do the we gotta do the most bro we draw the extra sauce on deontay wilder oh my god he's a better puncher a better heavyweight than tyson and he's right up there with ali and foreman and all this and i'm just thinking to myself dog who is deontay wilder beat this this it, the story when it comes to Deontay Wilder is the same thing, man. He did not put in the time and the effort into his craft. There's no reason, given the blessing that he has with the power that he has in his fists, that Deontay Wilder shouldn't be among the greatest heavyweights of all time. Because he punches like nobody else. But the thing is, he doesn't know how to set it up. He don't work anything. And if he got, and he finally got in there with somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing, and you saw what happens, dog. Deontay Wilder, the best fight, the best win in his career is against Luis Ortiz, and I'm not dismissing that because that's significantly better than anything else he's won. But then you ask yourself, who was Ortiz beat? Ortiz is the fighter who, if you could get past five rounds versus him, he's going to tire. He's short, clearly isn't in shape, and he can box. The more you make him work, the tired he gets, and then he gets sloppy. And Deontay Wilder capitalized on that two times. Two times versus Ortiz. Got through the first five rounds. Ortiz gets tired. Hands come down. He stops moving. Stops working. And then he gets caught. 
Tyson Fury is light years better than Luis Ortiz. Like, you look at the heavyweight division. Look at the guys who have separated themselves. Again, the two superstars. Whatever you feel about AJ, and a lot of people don't like Anthony Joshua. It's kind of, I don't know, it's odd to me, the number of people who don't like AJ, but whatever. AJ beat Vlad. Fury beat Vlad. Deontay was on the scene before AJ and before Fury. There's no reason why he shouldn't have fought. He should have took the Vlad fight, but we all know why he didn't take the Vlad fight because he couldn't do it. Vlad was begging for Wilder. He wanted the American that he could come over stateside and beat because who did he end up fighting? Was it Jennings? Bryant Jennings? Shout out to Philly. He settled for that because Wilder didn't want it. And it makes sense because you look... How many times you gonna fight Chris Ariola? You know what I'm saying? Like, dog, you gotta get in there with real guys. Dudes who know what they're doing. So while he may have Deontay Wilder may have been exposed to the masses because of the, the Fury fight, if you've been a fan of boxing, you've been known that this was gonna happen. Now, again, I didn't know that Tyson Fury was gonna kick his ass like that. Because again, anybody in boxing can get caught. You know, Lennox got caught by Rockman, right? That type of shit just happens. It's, it's a completely different thing between just getting caught and then getting your ass kicked. Say what you will about AJ. AJ got his ass whooped by Andy Ruiz. He came back and fought him, and then he outboxed him. Now, I got plenty of questions about AJ and if he actually wants to be a boxer or does he want to be a model or a spokesperson. Like, there's a lot of questions surrounding Anthony Joshua. And my guess is... We're going to find out fairly soon just where AJ's head is at. But he actually did come back. He changed his game up, knew what he had to do, and then executed. How many of you all raise your hand if you think that Deontay Wilder at 34 is all of a sudden going to learn how to box? It's too late for him. And part of the reason is because he knows he can always fall back on that right. He's been rewarded so much. For his right hand that he hasn't had to do the hard work. He hasn't had to be disciplined and learn. Like starting from scratch. And now everyone is talking about this, this trilogy. Deontay Wilder has the clause that if within 30 days he can enact the rematch clause, right? For a third fight. And my whole argument would be if anyone in Deontay Wilder's camp actually genuinely truly cares about him they do not rush for this third fight this third fight is going to happen regardless because tyson fury is in a position of power but if you are in deontay wilder's camp the first fight i don't care what what they say what the actual official you know result was anybody who knows boxing knows that tyson fury won the first fight that's easy. I've been saying this for years. This ain't new. If y'all listen to this show, y'all know how I feel about this. It's easy. He won the first fight, basically fighting once or tw twice off a three-year three layoff. And he beat Deontay Wilder, technically. Then he just beat him up physically. Like, he took the fight to him. It's two fights, two wins, and two totally different styles. If you rush Deontay Wilder against Tyson Fury again, he's going to get hurt really, really, really bad. So if you are 
if you care about Deontay Wilder, you don't want him to run back right back to Tyson Fury because what what makes you think anything is going to change? Like, what did you see Saturday night that makes you think, okay, well, if Deontay Wilder changes this one thing, he'll fix it. He don't know what he wants to do. He gained weight because he was hurt in the first fight, right? He can't, so he's going to probably lose. So what do you do? You lose the weight again? It's like maybe he was his legs was just out of it because he put on too much weight. Well, if you lose that weight, those punches that Fury hit you with are going to hurt that much more. Like Deontay Wilder doesn't have the foundation to just build and destroy. Like you just have to destroy and then hope to God that it can work. But if this is a third fight, it's going to be worse than this one. There's no doubt in my mind. Because that's how far Deontay Wilder is away from being a legit boxer. He's not. So then we move forward to the fight that I think everybody wants. I remember, again, Klitschko, AJ, and Wembley was phenomenal. It was nuts. And that's without any American pub. Like, you just had to be a boxing fan. You checked it out, and you were like, yo. And then word of mouth was like, yo, did you see it? So much so that they ran it back later that evening because everybody was talking about it because it was that phenomenal of a fight. If you get Tyson Fury, who has won the, the hearts and minds of many of the American public versus AJ, who has the entire continent of Europe on his back at Wembley, are you serious? And I hear so many people now because they use what happened on Saturday as a barometer because they don't know any better. So it's like, man, Fury will wipe the, wipe the floor with AJ. And he may, again, I don't know where AJ's head is at. And we'll see in the Pulev fight, I guess, right? The Pulev fight, excuse me. But what Fury did to Wilder is not going to be the same thing he does to AJ because AJ actually knows how to box. You know, AJ knows. I remember when he fought Parker and so many people were critical of the way AJ fought in that fight because he didn't knock him out. And my whole point was like, yo, AJ needs to learn. That's that's what Deontay Wilder should have done. Right? Sometimes people are going to look at you like, man, why don't you knock him out? Sometimes you're not going to knock him out. You got to work on the craft. Now, I don't know where AJ's mind is at, but I will tell you this. When Tyson Fury fought Kevin Johnson, he went 12 rounds with him. When AJ fought Kevin Johnson, he dropped him, he got him out of there in two. Klitschko was a decision. AJ, TKO. All of these things happened. Like, Fury, I have more confidence in him because I've seen him in the fire when the fire was its hottest. And he's never backed down. The Ruiz fight makes me look at AJ completely different. Now, he did avenge that loss, and he deserves the credit, despite the fact that nobody wants to give it to him. But he did avenge that loss. We'll see what they've done in the lab to see if they can build upon it. But I, I'm fascinated by a Fury-AJ fight. And again, if you're a Wilder, you're not out of it. Let that fight happen, and then you like you have a rape a, a paper, rock, scissors type of ordeal right now, right? Wilder can't beat Fury. There's just no way in the world that Deontay Wilder can beat Tyson Fury. It's not going to happen. I do think Deontay Wilder has a chance to beat Anthony Joshua. 
because Anthony Joshua's chin is just, you just don't know where it is. I think Anthony Joshua can beat Tyson Fury because he can box. And again, it's, it's, it's really not rocket science here, man. When you have someone who is not the, in peak physical condition, especially in their abdominal region, you have to work the body. Work the body. Now, AJ's glass chin worries me because he's been he's hit the canvas multiple times. And he does not have that heart that Wilder or Fury has, I don't believe. I don't know how much AJ wants to be a boxing champion. I think he wants all of the fame that comes with it and the money. I don't know how much he wants the boxing championship. Like he, I don't know how much he wants to be a boxer. We'll find out, I'm assuming, in about a year. In about a year's time. But man, Saturday night are one of those moments that I, I just love. And despite the fact that you have a lot of people who don't know much about boxing, jumping on their platforms and being reckless. Despite all of that, despite the hype, despite the politics, despite the people calling the fights, thank goodness for Andre Ward. Andre Ward, shout out to Andre Ward, man. The best thing about ESPN's boxing broadcast is Andre Ward easily. Easily. And that's including Max. And I love Max, man. But Max is when he gets compromised because of the politics. Max gets up there, man. It's real, real nasty. There were some nasty things about this broadcast this past weekend. How are you going to honor the living heavyweights and not honor George Foreman? They honored Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on. The George Foreman guy? We just gonna forget him? <laughs> how how that happen? Hell, Riddick Bo? We just gonna we just gonna pretend like these dudes don't exist? That was nasty. But another thing that blew me. Remember, it was a cross promotion fight between Top Rank and PBC. So they're working together. They shouted out Terrence Crawford at least twice, probably more during that broadcast. I didn't hear them say Errol Spence's name once. Don't get me started. Slim, I can make this an entire boxing podcast right now. And I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to. Because we have so much more to discuss. But I will be talking more about this fight and what happens next in the third quarter with my guest this week, Erica Fernandez. So, boxing heads, make sure you stay tuned for that. And if you're not a boxing fan, we're also going to make jokes about the Knicks too. So, the third quarter is going to be very, very entertaining. But we're done now with boxing for the moment. For the time being, we're going to step on the gridiron for our second topic this week. Second quarter. It's so funny how things work out. Just last week, just last week, we were talking about how everything is fake. Remember how people's outrage is like people are excited to get mad, but they cast a wide net. A friend of mine once said that, you know, Instead of casting a wide net, she likes to cast a deep one. Basically meaning, in this example, so many people want to get mad at so many different things. But they're not really, really mad. It's just surface level. So you cast a, a large net, but it doesn't go deep. So when, when, when you're upset about something that goes deep, you care. You truly care. So it doesn't matter how long things go. It doesn't matter how much time is in between your initial anger and when there is a quote unquote resolution, right? If you are deeply affected, offended by something, time isn't the only thing that needs to happen for you to get over it. 
where we live in a, a day and age now where we're just so mad. We're fixated on being upset. We're upset at this. Each each new hour, there's something else. You know what I'm saying? And we also talked about, yo, we love football so much in this country. Anytime we see Roger Goodell's face, we hear his voice, there's a visceral reaction. Like, oh, no, we know that's bad. Roger Goodell is bad. But as soon as he's removed from the equation, no matter what happens, we all know that Roger Goodell is just the face, right? He does the owner's bidding. So all of these awful things that happen at, at the feet of the quote-unquote shield, it's not Roger Goodell's doing nine times out of ten. It's what the owners want. But for whatever reason, we see Roger Goodell, right? It's like the black licorice taste. You just know instinctively, yeah, it's nasty, right? As soon as he's gone, give us more football. Tap in our veins. We need it. Case in point, and it just happened literally days after the last week's show. The NFL proposed a 17-game schedule. And everybody's doing flips, right? And look, let me make this perfectly clear. I do not expect, I do not assume. In fact, I assume the opposite, honestly. When I watch football, how I feel about it, is my own feelings. I do not project my feelings onto anyone else, and I try to do that with everything, but specifically here with football, because again, I've said it so many times in the past, this country, football is ingrained in the fabric of Americana. Everything that is America in 2020, football is as large with the exception of maybe, not maybe, of other than money, and football and money go hand in hand. Outside of money, I don't know if there's anything, sex included, that is more American than football, professional football, specifically the NFL. So I understand that. So when I say that when I watch football, I am conflicted. And we're not talking about the domestic violence stuff right now. We're not talking about the Kaepernick and the social, social justice issues. I'm just talking about the game. I'm not, I remember vividly, I was a, I was a PA, it may have been a PA when it started, and then definitely was an AP, I'm sorry, production assistant, associate producer, when all of this CTE stuff started, and the subsequent, you know, legal issues that followed, I vividly remember the NFL saying, nah, man, this stuff didn't happen, nah, Roger Goodell being propped up in front of the mics. This is when he was like the golden boy, when everybody loved Roger Goodell. I remember logging sound. This is how I know it's ingrained in my memory banks. I remember how big of a deal it was. And not just how big of a deal it was, how defiant the NFL was against what the science at the time was saying and how they fought it. I'm not talking about a movie or a book. I remember hearing it, logging it, cutting the sound. Right, I remember how vehemently the NFL fought these allegations that they knew how dangerous the sport was and how they said, no, it's not. And look, we say this all the time on this show. Don't take my word for it. If you genuinely care, if you honestly want to know, do your own research. All of the, everything that was said, everything that was done, this information is readily available just a few clicks away if you want to know. If you care, 
I'm not saying everybody rush out and do research on Dr. Amalu and, and Roger Goodell. You don't have to. But don't just take my word for it. Don't just hear me and think it's gospel. Right? You can do the own research. So I bring all of this up because players have said time and time again, they don't like the new head rules, right? They don't like the defense, the defenseless receiver stuff. And players have been fined and fined and fined and penalized and fined and they argue about it. Hell, I remember Monday Night Countdown. Remember the jacked up segment? I love that joint. I loved it. It was fun. And I don't know anybody who used to watch that segment who didn't like it. But you understand, yo, we can't have this segment because of what? Player safety. So this is my whole point. If you don't care about player safety, that's fine. That is on you. I'm not saying you should. I know for me, I feel conflicted at times. And it's not the majority of the time by no stretch. It's not even half of the time. There are moments when I watch football and I could completely not even thinking about CTE or feeling conflicted or feeling any type of dilemma about watching these guys bang their heads and crash their bodies all over the place because I enjoyed the product so much. But I got to tell you a personal story. I remember this was after the concussion movie came out and I'm talking to be Mitch, Brian Mitchell. We were working together at the same time, right? And we're just talking and he's like, yo, Armand, man, I, I took my family to see concussion. And he was saying how his daughter started crying as she's watching the movie. And again, you could, if you've seen the movie, if you know the information, if you just know a little bit about CTE, right? You're watching this stuff. And I can imagine what a daughter is thinking like, yo, is this going to happen to my dad? You know what I'm saying? And those words he told me that day stay with me. Right. And again, if you are the mind that say, yo, everybody knows football is dangerous. This is what they sign up for. They gave them an amazing, you know, career. They get paid handsomely. It's that's part of the the, the, the trade off. Right. This is part of the trade off. They know what they're getting into. If that's how you feel. I'm not mad at you. Cool. That's ex a lot of people. I feel like I, I in fact, I applaud the people who come out and say that because I know they're being honest. But what we have seen over the last week is people just lose their minds over this extra game. And they're the same people who are crying about player safety. All of these years, player safety, you have to player safety. Oh my gosh, you can't target defenseless receiver. You hit the quarterback late. Oh my goodness, you went low. Defenseless receiver, you ducked your head. All this other stuff, right? If you care about player safety at all, the idea of adding an extra NFL game, specifically without even adding a bye week, you just say, nah, y'all gonna play more. It's nuts to me. You know what I'm saying? And I get it. I understand. Everybody wants another football game, right? It's more football. Everybody loves football. Again, in this country, football is king. And I'm not mad one bit. I get it. I'm not arguing against that. But Slim, what are we doing? I, I'm watching ESPN. And it's so funny, right? Because, again, Monday Night Countdown was on ESPN. ESPN and the NFL are partners. 
if you don't care about player safety, which again, I don't understand. And I would love to hear from you. If you think I'm wrong, email me or tweet at me, tweet at me at quarterly show, email me at quarterly report at gmail.com. I don't understand how fighting and advocating for player safety can be on the same plane, can exist at the same time when you're also saying and fighting for and celebrating an extra NFL game. In fact, we're really talking about two more games, right? Because they're going to cut one by add one playoff team, right? So there will be another game. Now, obviously, everybody won't be playing that game, but there will be another game and everyone is playing one more game. So you can't talk about player safety, but then like, yo, go ahead and play some more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go ahead and play some more. And they're bargaining things that the players have to make. Like, think about it. The players are saying, yo, if we're talking about player safety, right? Well, then we should probably not play as many games. And our practices, our OTA shouldn't be mandatory. And when we are at mandatory camp, we shouldn't be this physical, right? Because all of that makes sense. If you're saying that the, the, the sport of football is inherently dangerous, limiting the amount of times the players have to be involved in any dangerous activity makes sense if you care about player safety. If everyone cares about player safety, you shouldn't be bargaining one safety measure for another. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's all nasty. And ESPN, as a partner of the NFL, they went out of their way. I'm watching Get Up, who, which, by the way, I know people killed Get Up when it first came on, like when it first started. That's an amazing, as a producer, and as someone who just watches television, loves sports, that's an amazing television show. I'm not getting paid by ESPN. That's just my two cents. I enjoy the Get Up Morning program. In any event, they are killing J.J. Watt for tweeting out they, the, the, the day after the owners released their proposal, J.J. Watt was like, hard, no, hard pass, whatever. Now, what they didn't say, like Richard Sherman was also very uh, outwardly against this proposal. But they focused on J.J. Watt because Richard Sherman is a part of league reps. He knows what he's talking about. If you're killing Richard Sherman for knocking this new proposal, you know, you're going to look foolish. And Richard Sherman will come for your head. J.J. Watt's not. And they bashed J.J. Watt. How could you? This is a good deal. Jeff Saturday, a former player rep. Oh, this is a great deal. Uh, Dan Graziano. Oh, the, the, the players, they fought for this. And this is a really good deal that they can accept. Darren Ravel, former ESPN employee, is like, this is one of the worst CBA deals that I've ever seen outside of the NHL players when they were like, when the owners beat them over their heads and they just had to accept it. But you can't listen to ESPN on this regard because they're partners of the NFL. So, of course, they're going to do the bidding. It's in ESPN's best interest to have more NFL games, more NFL games, more rating, higher ratings, more more advertising deals, more money. Everybody eats at ESPN if there's more NFL games because everybody does. So I'm, I'm watching this and I don't know if. Because I, I'm, I'm so, my entire career has been in sports media, media, but sports media majority of the time, right? I don't know if everybody understands that. So ESPN purports itself as a news outlet, and there are news aspects of the station, but they are a money grab as well. And I'm like, if player safety, 
matters to you. And apparently y'all faked like you did because again, the jacked up segment, you took it off, not because it wasn't a popular segment, not because there wasn't a demand for it, but because everybody's like, oh, we got to gotta do player safety. We got to do this player safety thing, man. So we got we to gotta do this. Nah, y'all don't care. And that's cool if you don't, but don't fake about it, man, because all of this stuff seems fake to me now. Yo, as I get older, I talk to y'all about this all the time, man. My mind just goes off. And I, and I, I don't necessarily believe in conspiracy theories, but I, 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 I enjoy reading about them, right? And one of the many of them that I've, delved into over the time is the uh the simulation theory right essentially where all of us are just living in a simulation right it's, nothing is real we think we're alive but it's not it's just kind of everything is fake and i'm not going to take your time to go and sound like the crazy old man and continue on this theory right but that's essentially what it is and as you look around and you see how fake everything is dog they have fucking plant-based whoppers the fuck? <laughs> Who asked for fake whoppers? Think about it. You know, I don't really, I'm not on IG like that. You know what I'm saying? A few years ago, I created a page for the show, but just only for the shows. Like nothing personal, nothing like that, just to promote the show. Got some homeboys, right? They big on IG. That's all they on. All of them. They show me these youngins that they like. They all, you know, a lot of y'all probably understand the same game. Jumping DMs, shoot your shot, maybe you win, maybe you don't, right? All of these youngins got fake something. <laughs> it's a fake fake chest, fake ass, right? Fake face, fake waist, whatever the case. Dog, I'm old enough to remember, and if you are of a certain age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. First Prince episode, Gina's on there, Martin, or I'm sorry, Martin, Will in the basement during the earthquake, Right? And this is his first ever earthquake, so he's scared. He's stuck in the basement, Jane. And he's there with Gina. Gina's beautiful, whatever. As the show progresses, uh, Will realize Gina got fake lashes, fake nails, you understand? Fake every fake, fake wig on her head. And he's like, yo, what is this? Right? He in the simulation. You realize everything around you is fake and it's nuts. Imagine people clamoring for player safety, screaming at the lungs. Oh my goodness, we need to protect the players. Anytime that there's a big time hit, you gotta get that type of stuff out of the league. It's for the players. We're doing all this stuff with youth football and it's for the players and heads, heads up tackling. And if you don't tackle the right way, you get fined and you get flat and all of this stuff to protect the players. And then the moment you put that up against, hey, we'll give you one, <laughs> With just one extra game, all of that gets thrown out of the window. You see how fake everybody is? Is that not nuts? Because it's nuts to me, man. It's crazy to me. I'm just looking around. And, and, and again, the NFL will bargain safety practices against another safety measure. And that lets you know they don't give a fuck about player safety. They just want more money. One of the things that they were bargaining is the the testing of marijuana, right? And imagine, I mean, the NFL, again, is so powerful. So powerful in this country. Imagine if the NFL, I, who are they scared of? First off, why are they faking? They don't, they don't want to get sued, obviously, right? But they, they make so much money. 
a lawsuit to the NFL truly is nothing. Imagine if the NFL took a position of leadership, particularly regarding medicinal marijuana cannabis, right? Players are telling you, yo, we'll take the hits. In fact, most players are like, yo, we're more scared of the drugs y'all giving us so we can continue to play than we are of playing. Let us play. We'll hit you in the head, but let us heal the way we want to heal. And imagine if the NFL took a leadership position on med medicinal marijuana. Like imagine the impact that they could have if they were not just solely based on money. And, guess, and get this, there's money to be made. At every turn, every single piece of data shows you that when cities, but when states start legalizing cannabis, they start making significantly more money. So the NFL could still do the NFL thing and try to cap make cap like capitalize financially on everything, right? But they also could be taking a leadership position on something that Americans are enjoying and that Americans by and large agree with. And that would help the players, not as a bargaining chip, but actually, if you cared about player safety and we know about the opioid crisis in this country, well, yo, like, that shouldn't be a bargaining chip, right? But the NFL is so scared of being leaders and so scared of, of public perception. And my, my thinking is, why are they scared? The NFL could come out and be like, man, fuck the players. We don't care. Take y'all gonna run away from this check. We gonna have 17 games. Fuck the players. But we, you know, y'all gonna run away from this check. Y'all gonna strike. And everybody be like, yeah, well, you know what? They're right. The NFL could be on some Debo stuff if they wanted to, but they don't, and they keep on faking. And my question is, why? There's no reason for them to fake. Do you feel me? If you have an idea why. The entire sports world is faking right now. ESPN, boy, that just really blew me the other day because all of these people are will benefit from an extra NFL. You have NFL reporters on a network that is a partner of the NFL and former NFL players, all of whom is a part of the you know the NFL. Like they've all played more than six years. I think it's six years to get into the um, the health kit, like the you know the the benefits package or whatever. So then they get a piece of all of this as well. This is more money. So that means more money for retired players. Everybody's eating, but no one discloses any of this stuff, right? So because it's ESPN and it's on television and so many people look at ESPN as a news outlet, as opposed to an entertainment outlet, right? Like, there's not that many outside the lines broadcast anymore. In fact, outside the lines was a news program. They came on five, what, five days, six days a week. Now it just comes on once a week, I think, right? So there's really no news in ESPN anymore. It's just entertainment and talking heads. But because so many people look at ESPN as a news organization, they're going to take their words as the, as the gospel without letting them know there's a conflict of interest. If you've ever been to in any type of media organization, you have to take conflict of interest courses classes basically once every fucking two days you understand they make you take conflict of interest classes 
over and over and over again. And the worldwide leader gets up there and just like, hey, there's something, there's nothing wrong with this 17 game schedule. Forget the fact about player safety. That was just no, forget, forget, forget we said all that stuff. Forget the fact that we took down the jacked up segment. Forget all this other stuff. Player safety is fine. Don't worry about that. As a matter of fact, let's not talk about player safety anymore. You want to know why? Because their pockets getting fat, bro. It's nasty. It's nasty all the way around. All right, guys, you heard the horn, and that means we are at halftime this week. Again, I want to hear from you guys, man. You think I'm overreacting about the extra NFL game? Because I understand everybody loves that there'll be more football. I'm not arguing that. Please hear me and hear me well. I'm not mad that there's an extra game, per se. I'm just mad at all the fake and the histrionics and all the stuff that has led up to this point. Like, I just don't like being lied to, bro. You feel me? But let me know how you feel on this. I'm sure most of you guys are excited about an added NFL game, and it's probably going to happen. There's no probable about it. It's going to happen, whether it happens in two years or if there's a lockout strike, whatever the case, it's going to happen at some point. I want to hear your thoughts, though. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me at quarterly show. Again, we spell quarterly here. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right. Besides the NFL's talk of uh, extended regular season and besides Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury's big fight this past Saturday, one of the biggest things that actually matters that happened in the world this past week was the Nevada caucuses, but before that, even the Democratic presidential debates. Now, this is not a political podcast. I hope for you all to want to be informed. You guys look at other pods and other platforms to better your own decision. However, there was a strong entertainment value if you watched the Democratic debates this past week. So much so that going the rounds, making the rounds was Elizabeth Warren tearing Mike Bloomberg's ass apart. Thank God for Elizabeth Warren doing that, man, because the, the Bloomberg love was really, really blowing me. It was really, really blowing me. But one thing that, w- that stemmed from the debate and Elizabeth Warren's attack was this online thing that started going around where they put the beat to ether underneath Elizabeth Warren. Dog, some of y'all are so creative. And it's such a beautiful thing, man, because in this day and age, you there's so many tools out there for the creatives out there to, to express themselves, man. And it's one of the things I, I do enjoy about Twitter, despite the fact that I'm kind of limiting myself on that platform. Uh, I, I got to, I got to kick out of that. Seeing Elizabeth Warren tear up Michael Bloomberg was great enough, but then you add Nas to it. Oh, mwah, chef's kiss. Right. But I thought, yo, why not? Why just stop there? There was beef all up and down that platform, that stage last week. So, Instead of actually putting the beat underneath the presidential candidates, I translated what the candidates were actually saying, but more importantly, feeling to some of your favorite rappers. It goes something like this. Take it. Senator Warren, we'll start with you. Mayor Bloomberg has a questionable past, if you will, as it pertains to minorities when it comes to redlining and stop and frisk. What do you say to the mayor's uh, 
controversial policies. First off, fuck your bitch in the click you claim. Wow. Strong words there, Senator Warren. Okay, Mayor Bloomberg, how would you like to respond? Money Short and sweet. Okay. Senator Sanders, we turn to you now. As the front runner, how do you feel about Mayor Bloomberg's unlimited resources as it pertains to fighting and buying ad spaces to be a legitimate competitor for you in the Democratic race? What's up? What's up? What the boys talking about? Hey, yo, y'all big money boys. Y'all better watch out. Them jack boys are let loose, nigga. The political climate in this country is absolutely insane. And, you know, this isn't a political podcast, but, you know, let me just get a little bit off my chest. I find it. Hmm, let me say, I am not the biggest Bernie Sanders supporter, right? I don't mind his policies. I think his policies are dope. I think I appreciate his forward thinking and his progressive nature. Um, but I was a Castro guy. And once he left the race, I'm, I'm a Warren guy. But that doesn't mean that I dislike Bernie. It's just this. I don't know. I will say watching the reaction to Bernie Sanders success makes me like him more. <laughs> And the idea, like when you when you're like literally watching people lose their minds off of a guy's success, and it, for me, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, the the thought, the voice in my head is like, okay, well, why are all of these people so upset? Because it's not like he's saying anything that is so outlandish in my mind. And now, full disclosure, I'm very progressive, right? I'm socially super progressive. Like, do what you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else, go for it. You understand? Uh, fiscally, I'm a bit conservative, but it's funny how certain people get to shape the narrative on certain topics, right? I come out and say that I'm fiscally conservative, and then the idea is, oh, man, so how can you want all of these social programs that Bernie and Warren and Castro are advocating for? And my, my counter argument would be, well, look how much money our country is spending on certain things anyway. So we could distribute that, the money that we already spend. We spend so much money on so many things that honestly aren't really making an impact. Like we spend so much on defense, but our vets, when they come home, look at where they're at. Like we can redistribute our funds, right? But if, if someone says, yo, I'm fiscally conservative, you have an already like idea of what that means. But whatever, again. I'm not, I'm, I can go down a rabbit hole talking about this stuff, and that's not really what I'm trying to do. My point is, I remember 2016, 2015 quite well. And when Trump first threw his hat in, like legit as a candidate, and the Republican establishment was like, no, this is crazy. This guy can't win. This is absurd. And the people continued to respond. And the Republican Party was like, uh. We may have something here. And they shifted. And I'm not saying that the Democratic Party should be like what, what the Republican Party has now morphed into as this is a lot like a dictatorship, right? Um, within that party. I want to make sure I'm saying that correctly. But when you look at 
things even back in 2016 when Bernie would win and I mean the the emails were released right there was a, a concerted effort to kind of quiet down and you know I don't know silence the what Bernie was doing and it and, and it just made his followers even more rabid and I don't know if the democratic establishment or the powers that be understand that their efforts are having the adverse impact that they want. Bernie is turning into a folk hero and his ideas aren't bad. I've got my concerns when it comes to Bernie. I'm a little bit like, eh, when he talks about race, I get nervous because my gut is like, man, I don't know if we can trust brother, right? Because he says some wild shit sometimes when it comes to race. But everything else, I'm like, yo, why are y'all so mad at him? What is it about this dude, this old guy, that y'all hate so much? And I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell people on the left, people who like Bernie or people who are maybe unsure. It's like, oh, you know what? That's too radical. That's too much. When we all just saw what happened in 2016 on the opposite end of the aisle. Like, you can't tell one group of people this is too radical when the most radical shit of our lifetime is currently happening right now. And everybody got behind it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There does, I'm, again, as I get older, my mind just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of goes. And there are times when I think, yo, you know what? Maybe there does need to be. Uh, just a complete teardown and rebuild of our political structure. But the only way that happens is through a revolution. And I'm not talking about a political revolution. I'm talking about people in the streets, blood, like that type of revolution. Trust me, I'm not advocating for this. But all these people I keep on hearing, oh, man, we need a third party. We need a legitimate third party. This is systematic what is in our country right now, right? A two-party system, like that's ingrained. Like that, nothing is just going to change that overnight. And man, you know, when, dog, in America, I love my country. Son of a vet, grandson of a vet. But Lord have mercy. We will tweet some shit, but will we really fight for it? You know what I'm saying? We'll hashtag the fuck out of somebody, bro. But like, are we really about the change that we really want to see? You understand what I'm saying? I don't know how many of you have traveled. Even even the countries like Canada, they're not even really like travel travel, right? But they are in the streets every other weekend. You go to Europe, them folks are legit out there. When they are uncomfortable, when they are not happy, when they are not satisfied, they get out. We don't do that here. We'll hashtag your motherfucking ass. We get you trending and shit. But dog, we won't we won't hit the streets. You understand what I'm saying? And all of this stuff is happening at the same time. And we're like, I don't know. I mean, half of us aren't paying attention. The people who are paying attention. I don't know, man. It's, it's almost like we've been like the fight has been beat out of us. Again, as I get older, you kind of watch stuff. You, you, you know, we all had history lessons. We've all understand the history. But then you kind of dive deeper. At least that's kind of what my trajectory has been. And, you know. The 60s really fucked us up as a country. 
Because it's almost like we just, we like the fight was just beat out of us during that decade. And I know I'm just talking right now. And, you know, a lot of y'all don't care about politics. And I'm about to stop, bro. But it, it's just interesting. And then this past week, seeing like the pushback on Bernie of all the dog, Michael Bloomberg is running. And there's more of a a resistance, like a, 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 a easily like a, a, a rabid resistance to Bernie. And again, I ain't a Bernie bro. I get some of like the hesitation, but I don't understand that. Particularly when you put it into the context of what happened in 2016. So we'll see. But that shit was funny. The debate, very funny. It's sad that it's funny, right? Because all of our lives are out there. But, you know, it tickled me. And hopefully you guys enjoyed halftime. All right, enough political discussion. Y'all don't care about that. Let's get back to sports. And particularly the squared circle with my guest this week, Erica Fernandez. Super excited this week. Uh, for my guest, uh, making her second appearance on the Quarterly Report podcast. Uh, y'all know her from Black Sports Online, and she's about to start her own pod. We can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, yes. you can follow her on Twitter at Curls in Sports. Miss Erica Fernandez, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be back. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. And, you know, it was crazy because... This fight has been like boxing in 2020 has been super dope. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow. As a boxing fan that you are and I am when like the masses kind of jump on one particular fight and you start to see all of the different people and you can kind of tell. All right. Buddy don't really watch the sport like that, but he just has to talk about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So Mm -hmm. we had to reach out. I had to link up with you on Saturday's fight. Yeah, for sure. Um, And let's get to it, man. Um. I think people are still kind of in shock. Earlier in the show, I was like, yeah, I kn- I figured Tyson Fury was going to win just because, you know, Wilder hadn't really beat anybody. And when he That's fought... That's funny that you're saying that, but continue. Yeah, but when, when, when he fought Fury the first time, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like Fury won the joint, despite the fact that he, you know, he hit the canvas twice. But mm-hmm. I couldn't believe... Even though he called his shot, he said this is what he was going to do. I couldn't believe how he <laughs> yeah. I mean, he made Wilder look like he'd never been in the ring before. So my, que- my first question to you is kind of like, give me your first, I guess, your biggest takeaway from Saturday night's uh, big fight. I want to say my biggest takeaway is that I hate the word exposed in boxing. Right. And I saw a tweet about this the other, earlier. And I said, you know what? I agree. Right. But I feel like now more than ever i hope that wilder camp watched the tape at least five times in the past 48 hours digested it told him you know your legs were wobbly did you not work out your legs what was wrong with your stamina it's funny because leading up to the fight we saw him going hard and warming up and even the announcers were criticizing kind of putting each other against i don't know if you caught that they're like wow look at him he's stretching out he's relaxing and meanwhile um, Fury is chilling <laughs> jeans. Yeah, so, yeah, like it's obviously clear who was the underdog and who was the favorite. But one thing's for sure, he needs to learn how to box because we can't just depend on that crazy right hook that sent you know every other his other opponents to the canvas. Yeah, that's well, my major takeaway. Yeah, it's so it's there's like so many layers of the fight. You know what I mean? Because yes. I'm I'm with you. Saying someone was exposed 
is yeah. look, it could be disrespectful, it could be reckless. Mm-hmm. But yep. I also feel like like Slim, we've known what Wilder is. Like he's thirty four. Yeah. Like he hasn't he hasn't pulled any punches. In fact, after the second Ortiz fight, he said as much. He's like, dog, I only have to be nice for one second. You have to do go thirty five, you know, fifty nine of perfect boxing. I only yeah. have to be nice for one. So it's almost like he doubled down on the fact that yo, I don't know how to box, but I've never mm-hmm. I never needed to, and ultimately it cost him because he was outclassed. For sure. And going back to your point, you brought up a good point. I noticed the cards with Luis Ortiz. He was actually down in the cards. I don't know if you noticed the point. So had he not knocked him out, Ortiz would have won. Yeah, for sure. So it's crazy that you're bringing that up because that's a lot of things that people are talking about today. You know, still digesting the memes, talking about it. There's a lot. There's obviously a lot of chatter behind this. Now it's leading back to oh is this going to be fury versus anthony joshua so i agree with what you're saying like it's it just shows that he really needs to learn how to box once again guys yeah for sure once again y'all i'm joined by erica fernandez make sure you follow her on twitter at curls and sports man she's a reporter for bso did some time with the zone so she knows her stuff and you're about to jump in the podcast kind of foray as well we can probably touch on that a little bit later as well but i kind of want to stay because you made a perfect segue here um, cause now, I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, Monday following the fight. Mm-hmm. Wilder's now saying like the excuse. After, oh, I yes. always love when athletes do this, <laughs> when they say like, yo, and it happens mm-hmm. in boxing all the time. Like, yo, I'm yes. not going to make any excuses. And then they run through like four or five excuses of why mm-hmm. they lost. Your man is now saying that his costume was 40 pounds plus whatever the batteries were in it to make it light up. And that's why his legs. And I'm like, bro. You got beat up. You know what I'm saying? Just like, say it. Yeah. yeah so just, just take the air. Like we, it's one, it's one of the reasons why I love boxing so much. In basketball, you can blame the coaching. You can blame mm-hmm. back to backs. Football, Rats, you can blame the quarterback. Everything. Yeah, yeah, everything. In boxing, Slim, the world watches you win or lose. There ain't really no way you can hide. Yeah. So I guess my my the natural question is: Do you even want to see a third fight from these two, or do you think? Yo, maybe now it's time to finally get this unification bout popping between Fury and AJ. Well, contractually, I've noticed, I've read, sorry, that they are, that they, he could demand the third fight. Right. But I, I don't know if I want to see a third fight. I feel like this is going to turn into McGregor oh. <laughs> Mayweather and the Mayweathers of the world. I don't know. I feel like we've kind of reached our peak. I don't think that you need a third fight to kind of yeah. prove what else, you know, that he came back. Is that going to be the story? You know, yeah. he touched the canvas and now he touched the sky. Some corny. Yeah, like it, exactly. <laughs> it, the, I'm the trying pre- to think. The wild, the wild joint is like I'm getting comfortable now. I'm about to curse. You know what I'm saying? Like wild joint. I is, know that's what you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the wild joint is like the first fight, and again, I, I mean, you know, let me know what you think. I thought Fury won the first fight. Again, he he mm-hmm. touched the canvas twice. So you know, shout out to Wilder for that. But I don't know how else anyone else scored it. I don't know where you would give him another point. So give him those four yeah. points. I don't know how you get that as a draw. And then the second fight on Saturday, Fury did a completely different style and then beat him it up. So I don't yeah. know what it was going to happen. I don't know what anybody thinks is going to happen in the third fight because Fury shown two different styles and I could beat you, bro. And the second time was way easier than the first. It was. The first fight, to answer your question, I actually was okay with the draw 
okay. only because it went the distance. Mm-hmm. And despite Fury being, you know, knocked down twice, right. I was actually really happy with, bo- with both the performances. I think right. I was leaning towards Deontay to for the winner of the first fight only because of the knockdowns. I'm, right. I'm natural. That's just where I'm going to go sure. for. Yeah. That's sure. Once again, y'all, I'm joined by Erica Fernandez, reporter for BSO. Follow her on Curls in Sports or on Twitter. And again, make sure y'all look out because the podcast from her is on the way. And that's super dope. Um, Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, we got the boxing out of the way. Um, and look, this isn't going to go anywhere. But I also want to talk to you about something near and dear to my heart, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, see you on Twitter. You at the Knicks game. You you cover the Knicks. So this is not like yeah. you're not a fan. You actually, this is your job. I, I'm very happy it is. <laughs> it's not the other way around. <laughs> right. Got, yo, count your bluffy stars. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because as someone who's not even, who has never lived in New York, not from New York, I don't know why I've been cursed to love the Knicks the way I do. It's the only yeah, team. Yeah, how did you fall into that? Because you're not uh, even from the city. Yeah. it's it's So so I'm from Richmond, right? I live in, you know, D.C. outside of D.C. Yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Richmond, when I was coming up, you know, Oakley went to Virginia Union. And oh. Pat went to Georgia. So like all the OGs around me was like, yo, yo, Oakley, you see, remember Oakley when did it? So, mm-hmm. and the Knicks, they played like Richmond dudes played, you know, in the early nineties. Like we, we didn't have like the flashy stuff. We were just goons with it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So that's, mm-hmm. that's just naturally gravitated toward that as a kid. Um, but it's been a long 20 years. Like the, 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 yeah. the 99 2000 team is a long time from now. And I swear every time, every time it's like slim, this is the worst. The worst is we've reached the bottom. These bombers find another way to just fuck everything up. And now, you know, you have, like, hip-hop royalty, you know, a few weeks ago. And Steve Stout. And Steve yeah. Stout has a certain cachet that, like, if, you know, he, he's respected. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he goes on first take. And it's like, yo, how is this even happening? I don't know. I don't know how low the Knicks are or how low it's going to take. Before mm-hmm. they can actually bounce up, so I'll ask you as someone who covers the team, like, yeah. do you see any positive light coming to the garden? Because I'm I'm desperate now. You know, I actually thought the same thing. I said, well, this guy was hired as a rebrand. I'm sorry to rebrand the Knicks image. Right. So I said, what rebranding image? I I'm confused. Are they not making money? Yes, they are. They're still a billion dollar team. <laughs> Are people not buying tickets? I'm confused. Are you trying to fix up James Dolan image? That's what it sounds like, you know? And I can speak on this as an angry Mets fan. Owners Mm. just mess it up for the fans, and that's what Ah. sucks even more. Um, Like, we've seen it on Twitter where kids are sitting, what, a few rows away from James Dolan, and they get hit (laughs) with a do not disturb, don't be reckless, or we're going to kick you out or bang you from the garden. Like that's mad petty. If people are gonna go to games, they're gonna be ignorant. That's, right. They're gonna. There's a whole bunch of f bombs that are gonna fly, and that's just the nature of the game. But I was really shocked with that interview. Just to take it back to your point, I said I was watching in the rerun. A friend of mine who's a big Knicks fan, just like you, right. he sent it to me. He's like, "Can you explain this to me?" I said, "I don't even know how to make sense of this." So it's like, and he went into the den of wolves because first of all, you know that Stephen A. and Max Kellerman are gonna pick you apart. Hello, yeah. And they're going to ask you questions in and out. And he wasn't ready for it. It just so, seems that way. Yo, my man was sweating like it was an interrogation. I was like, it oh, was. my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, we just yeah. like, we just got rid of Mills. We just got rid of Mills. So everybody's like, okay, yeah. maybe this is it. 
They run Stout's ass out there. He gets grilled. Then they have to apologize. And this is the yeah. thing that kills me. I don't it was know a hilarious why. press release. Yeah, I'm like, man, what y'all doing? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and the, the thing that kills me is like, it's clear that Messiah is like, bro, I would kind of do this. Like, by all the all the kind of like hushing behind the scenes chatter is like, Messiah is at least interested in coming to New York. Just mm-hmm. wait until the offseason. Like, I don't know what the rush was. And then they do the Leon Rose thing. And I'm just thinking like, my God, I don't know what is wrong with this team. I don't know. Like, <laughs> And from someone who is I, in I New agree. York, what, does, yeah. what does the city kind of feel like? Because before the season started, it was like, yo, everybody's kind of flocking to Brooklyn. But Brooklyn, yeah. it don't seem like they're making any moves. So, like, what is yeah. the state of New York professional basketball right now? Well, it's definitely, in my opinion, I still think it's a Knicks town. I think mm-hmm. it's at least a decade. If the, if the Brooklyn Nets even win, I still think it's going to be a big Nets town. Okay. I don't think that... Even if you go to the Barclays Center, there's more Knicks fans there than there are Nets fans half the time. Um, but just looking back on it, I just honestly, like I said, I feel bad for the fans more importantly because people want a championship. They want to see people win. And then to bring it back to your point with, the, with Toronto's GM, I don't even know if he would want to get himself mixed in this mess. There's so much <laughs> drama. This is just a messy relationship that needs to just end. And um, the same friend of mine who's a Knicks fan, I talk with him Knicks all the time, and sometimes it's exhausting, even though I love it, because yeah, I'm learning yeah. too, because I'm not a fan, so I don't really right. understand that too much. I nah, really tapped away. out of a lot. Yeah, I tapped <laughs> yeah, out of this stuff growing up, so right. I didn't really know about James Dolan stuff until he explained it to me. I said, oh, okay, cool, at least this is something I'm learning. All right, yeah. great. They're like the Wilpons. Great, I right. understand on that level. Right. But he explained to me that um, Rangers owner also stays out, and they have a great president, and that's why the New York Rangers are in a better stand, and they've actually made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in the recent. I think they made it what 2014, 2015. Yeah, like handful that. of years ago. Yeah, exactly, a handful of years ago. So it just shows that ownership stays out. That's their team is profiting. People are going. That's really what it is, and it's you know the separation of church and state. And I also learned about the differences between him and his dad, which is something else right. that was eye opening. I was yeah. like, oh, now I understand. Yeah, why it was such a big spoon deal. in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. Man. Yeah, and now I understand why it was a bigger deal for the stuff, the drama with Charles Oakley. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so nice. now I understand that. Yeah. So that was a learning, a learning thing for me a couple of days ago with the whole stout thing. I said, oh, now I understand why we were really pissed. Yeah. Because he brought him to the team. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. nuts. I'm Once sorry. It, nah, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I need therapy for this, man. Once I know. Again, <laughs> so do I. Once again, y'all, I'm joined by Erica Fernandez. Follow her on Twitter. She's at Curls in Sports, reporter for BSO. Man, she does covers boxing, covers the NBA, uh, and again, Mets baseball stuff as well. Super, super dope. So, before I get you out of here, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking before we started. And you're about to jump into the podcast kind of uh, arena. Kind of let us know kind of what you plan on doing, kind of your thoughts and your visions for your upcoming podcast. Yeah. So I had a friend of mine. I used to do a podcast. I don't know if you noticed, but she was also a former BSO writer. Mm -hmm. And um, she kind of decided to switch careers. But at the same time, there was no animosity, no beef, no anything. But it opened up my eyes, the fact that, we were able to work well and we both sounded good together. So I said, you know what? Can I do this on my own? Because sure. I'm sure that you would obviously could attest more to this than a friend, another friend of mine who gave me a lot of advice. She's like, just 
take um take it one day at a time keep the shows brief to like maybe 30 to 35 minutes because you're also competing with attention span so that's even the worst thing yeah. if you think about it because that's why if you think about it like look at all these tiktoks they're barely 30 seconds long and they have millions of views so that's another right. problem so the topic is definitely going to be sports and entertainment but i'm trying go. to think about the name that's something that still is a blank canvas <laughs> I have no clue what to name this ish, but I'm gonna I'm, I'll figure it out. There so you most go. Most likely, it's coming for sure in the spring, and I'm thinking like April. Oh, there you go. I mean, you a baseball yeah. fan, so that's like, like it's perfect exactly. up for opening day and everything like that. Yeah. So that's what's up. A, well, a friend of mine was like, "Oh, you should name it Tears of a Mets fan." I was like, "Don't insult me." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I can't even get jokes off as a Nick fan. It's the only team that I even like. So. Yo, right? I'm right. I'm right there with you, man. And, I mean, shout out to orange and blue. You know, orange right? and the color, the All color day. code. It's such a dope color code, man. Like somebody it needs is. some success. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, exactly. You guys have any ideas for a title for Erica, man? Hit her up. Yo, again. word. She's on Twitter, she's at Curls and Sports. Erica, man, thank you so much for rocking with me thank this week. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, you. No problem. No problem. So we are now boxing out for this week's show. It was a huge fight on Saturday. I gave you my thoughts. You heard from Erica. And we even were able to touch on some Nick's therapy for yours truly. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like help is on the way anytime soon. So, <sighs> however, there's more bad news in the NBA circles, but it doesn't affect the New York Knicks. Unfortunately, it affects one of the, affects one of the biggest players and biggest stars in the league and potentially two teams for the foreseeable future. That's our discussion for our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. One of the amazing things about living in this day and age is to see the advancements that kind of happen at such an explosive and such a fast matter of time. I was born in the 80s and we have benefited from seeing te technological advancements in terms of television, cars, transportation, right um communication probably is the the largest um advancement that we have that we use on a regular day basis we're now at a point where in in the comfort of my own home i can record edit and then put out into the world a 90 minute show for hundreds of people to listen to right like that's that's phenomenal. And these type of advancements exist in our everyday life. When you look at the data, when you look at the stats, humans are living longer. We can we can literally get the nutrition that we need in a pill or a tablet, right? Or chewable if you need to. You know what I mean? We can get the most purified water from the most exotic island in the middle of the Pacific. Like everything that you do now, um, we have access to so much, but it fascinates me that in professional sports, and in my opinion, the NBA, the most the mo the league that features the most athletic athletes in the world, you have people who can do things that your mind just could not fathom just decades ago. And with all the advancements that we have made, specifically now we're talking about in the medical field, that even still to this day, the Achilles injury is the kiss of death for NBA players. It is beyond, I, I can't even imagine the, what exists now. Again, 
if you were alive in the early 90s, it's so funny, man. I remember it's a famous joke that Chris Rock had, I guess, in the late 90s now, right? Where he's like, oh, man, I hope I, he was like, I hope I live long enough to see somebody's commercial or see the ads or somebody's like, man, my age is acting up. I got to take this pill. I'm watching television and there is a, you know, those those kind of uh, ads where, you know, before you, you it's like you have to order this prescription. Right. And it's like before you take such and such consult with your doctor because there, and there's all the list of possible complications. They, I saw one of those things for AIDS now or for HIV. Excuse me. It's like an HIV. It's a medicine. It's like. You have to order, but you can get like, I give it was Viagra or something. And it's so funny that they have something for HIV. But in 2020, the Achilles injury has the same effect that it had in 1991 or, 19, or in the 1980s. The one exception still remains Dominic Wilkins. He's still the one guy who for one year was able to play phenomenal basketball post-Achilles injury. And then after that, you know, his career then hit a steep decline. But I bring all of this up because the Lakers recently, they waived, they released DeMarcus Cousins for Mark Keith Morris. Now, we can question whether bringing on Mark Keith is a net positive for the Lakers for dropping DeMarcus Cousins. I don't know. <laughs> but it's nuts to consider that even now, I mean, I remember a year and a half ago, or I guess actually two years now, when Boogie tore his Achilles. And I'm like, yo, it's over. Because it's always been over. Again, we're talking about the most athletic of all of the great athletes. The, the pinnacle of you know, amazing kind of extraterrestrial human beings playing the NBA. Like you look at Zion and this dude is a freak athlete and he's running around at 280. Zion Williamson is like two inches taller than me. And even in my most unathletic, worst shape ever, I've never been 280. You know what I'm saying? If this guy can fly out of the gym, these dudes are to, to even think that they are the same species as you and I is nuts. But if I tear my Achilles, I know what time it is. And if they tear their Achilles, it's basically the same result. Like that's still the, the mystery when it comes to medicine in this field. Isaiah Thomas, it was a wrap. Elton Brand, it was a wrap. Kobe, God bless the dead. Everyone is, you know, eyeing this uh, this beautiful Kobe Bryant tribute. When he tore his Achilles, you knew it was never going to be the same again. And now we're looking at the Marcus Cousins. You have different players who have different styles, who have all at different physiques. And I'm missing a, a whole bunch of other guys. Like, if you were to Google players who have NBA players to uh, suffer a torn Achilles, it's, it's a... It's a it's not really a who's who, but it's a very dark and unfortunate list of guys who are never the same. And I live in Washington, D.C. 
right outside of the city. One of my favorite players in the world, John Wall. And every time I'm watching anything Wizards related, and more times than not, unfortunately, it's been bad news. The, the hope is you always hang whatever happens. On, well, you know what? We just have to be better for next year. And next year is going to be different. Next year, next year, next year. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, is there a contingency plan? Like, do we do we have anything that's... Okay, well, if John doesn't come back, or if John does come back and he's not the same, what then? Because everything that I see from the Wizards is like, yo, this is what we got. But next year, we want to have John in a 2020 pick, and we going right back at it. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, I hope that works out for sure. Because the league is better when John is playing. But uh, what if he's not back? Or what if something bad happens? Or what if his game just does not try? Like, they're just so... DeMarcus Cousins, just a hand, less than a handful of years ago, y'all telling me how he was the best in the league. Dog, I got laughed out of the room for saying just like four years ago that Nikola Jokic was better than DeMarcus Cousins. It's one of the reasons why we really have to stop doing the counting stats thing, right? If I'd say someone... And not, not just me, if anybody... If anyone is telling you, hey, I think such and such is better, and the only response you have is just look at the counting stats, eh, I feel like, man, we, we're leaving a lot to the imagination. But it's not just the Wizards. Look at the Nets. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And you know what? I heard the same thing in defense of DeMarcus Cousins that I'm now hearing for Kevin Durant. Oh, well, you know what? He's not an athlete. His game is more tailored to shooting, and he doesn't need the explosion. Bro, when you're talking about men who are close to seven feet tall, mind you, Kevin Durant already has a history of, like, bad lower extremities. That's one of the reasons why it worries me with John. Same thing with Kevin. It's not that DeMarcus Cousins, when he came back, wasn't a good player. He was fine. He wasn't the same, but he was fine. It's that his body... Just had to endure a year-long's worth of intense training. And what then happened? Torres ACL. You know what I'm saying? It's that your body then becomes so much more vulnerable. And when you look at Kevin Durant, bruh, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But he's carrying a lot of weight on a very frame, frail, excuse me, frame. And we just assume because he's a great basketball player, he's going to bounce back. He's already in his 30s. And speaking as someone who's in my late 30s now, dog, the body just don't work the same once you hit that 3-0. It just doesn't. That's something, no matter how much money you make, no matter what your diet is, no matter how much you weigh, no matter the advancements in medicine, that's going to be the same thing. Your body is not the same at 33 as it was at 23. That's just the real. And if you at 29 right now, Slim, enjoy your next 18 to 20 months. Because it ain't the same, bro. And I love the 30s. I love the 30s way more than I love the 20s. But this is the one reality that we all kind of got to, this is the one fact that we all have to wake up with and understand. 
And when I looked at the, the, the DeMarcus Cousins news this weekend, my mind immediately raced to D.C. with the Wizards and then to Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. Because both organizations, to different degrees, obviously, because they're both... Um, I don't, I don't even know how different, honestly, they are. The fact is, the Nets feel that they are a championship contender when they get Kevin Durant back. And they are basing this on getting 2019, 2018 Kevin Durant. And what I'm saying is, I don't know if anybody can bank on that. There's now reports saying that the, the Nets are looking to, to trade Dinwiddie and Levert, Joe Harris, and um, Jared Allen. And we kind of knew that these things were going to be put in motion once Kyrie made those comments a few months back. Talking about, yo, we need to add to it. And this is what I'm saying. They're going so far in on the KD-Kyrie union that they are willing to move several really good quality pieces, right, that you build or you need to build a contender around, right? No one or two players are going to win the championship. You need the right and correct talent players on a nice team-friendly deals to do that, no matter how great of a one-two piece that you think you have. And the point now is we know Kyrie isn't durable, and now you're going all in on Kevin Durant, not just returning, but also returning and staying healthy and returning, staying healthy, playing at a rate that he played when he was one of the greatest players of all time. And my question is the same that I had to the Wizards. What's your contingency plan? Because in 2020, the same way it was in 2000 and 1990 and 1980, bro, the data tells you a very, very hard truth when it comes to this injury. No matter the advancements that we make in technology, the advancements we make in nutrition, the advancements we make in terms of emotional and mental health, dog, physically, in this day and age, the Achilles is still the kiss of death. And unfortunately, two of the three, if you count the Marcus Cousins, of the best players in the world, one of them has shown you, dog, it's rough out here. I feel bad for Bookie. Remember, Bookie hurt himself in a contract year. Took a $5 million deal last year, took a vet minimum this year, and you know he's going to have to do that next season. I don't know. Luckily for John and KD, these guys injured themselves in right before their new big money kicked in. But for the teams who have them under contract and are basing so much of their future on, man, when they come back, I hope you have a plan B. Let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E-S-H-O-W. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, we spell quarterly here. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. Also, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you leave a five-star review if you please. And more, most important, leave a little review. Let me know. Let your friends know. Let the whole world know why you love the Quarterly Report podcast and why, in my humble opinion, it's the best sports podcast out right now. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Erica Fernandez. And most important, I want to thank you for listening to me. 
and make sure you check me out next week for another episode of the quarterly report